Welcome to the Spectator Books podcast. I'm the Spectator's literary editor, Sam Leith, and today I'm joined by Rebecca Asher and Tim Samuels, both of whom have written books about masculinity today. Rebecca's is called Man Up, Boys, Men and Breaking the Male Rules, and Tim's is Who Stole My Spear? How to Be a Man in the 21st Century. And they're two books which start from some very similar data to do with the great prevalence of mental illness and the high representation of male suicide statistics and many of the difficulties that men seem to have in the modern world, but they draw very different conclusions. To start with Rebecca Machowski, some would say um, that it takes quite some balls to write a book about masculinity <laughs> as a woman. Um, what made you want to do it? It's unfortunate phrasing. Um, I know, I mean, I did think very hard about writing this book before I wrote it. I mean, partly because it's such a job of work, but also because I knew that it could get me into trouble, open me, up, open me up to criticism and all the rest of it. But in the end, I decided it was all right for me to write this book. And the reason that I think it's okay for me to write this book is because um, partly as a parent, I'm bringing up a boy and I want to ensure that that boy will try and do everything that I can to ensure that that boy leads a happy, fulfilling life, is kind to himself and kind to other people and all the rest of it. But also because as a woman, my life is affected, influenced by men in every way. I mean, you know, I still sort of, for all the problems that you've alluded to there, I still strongly believe that men hold the cards, really, when it comes to money and power. Our world is shaped by men to a large degree. And so I think it's completely valid for me to have an opinion on men. Would you be happy for me to write Woman Up? <laughs> I did think that's obviously the sort of follow-up question. Would you endorse that? Um, I would, I think, you know, there's, I generally think that there's too much self-censorship and censorship today in terms of what people feel they can and can't say and in terms of the subjects that people feel that they can, you know, uh, have a view on. And so if you wish to follow up uh, Who Stole My Spear with a book on, I don't know what would it be, Who Stole My Handbag or something, I have no idea, (laughs) Uh, then, you know, feel free. I wouldn't have the the balls to do that. I I commend you for doing this, but my my balls are just shriveling at the thought of trying to write a book on women. No more balls, please. I'd have to to borrow some from Sam, I think. Well, both of your books do talk very strongly about an idea, a sort of stereotype of masculinity, which has to do with things such as, you know, hierarchy, aggression, emotional repression, you know, physical boisterousness, I suppose, certain sorts of sexual behaviour. But... It seems to me you go in slightly different directions because if I'm not travestying your arguments, Rebecca, your argument is that this stereotype, these archetypal forms of masculinity essentially need to be dismantled for men and women to be happier. And Tim, your argument seems to me to be that it's the effort to dismantle them in some ways that's causing some of the difficulties of modern men and that there needs to be a way of channeling what you call quite often some sort of innate male Mm. behaviours, some sort of boyishness that's, that's there. So, you know, you almost want more of the stereotype and... Rebecca, you seem to think that it can be done away with entirely. I mean, I think I want what I call good masculinity. So it's not to kind of, it's not to roll back the clock to the 70s or or to the Flintstones. It's to say, it's not to deny that masculinity is a, what I would call a primal force. And for me, that, that is ignored at society's peril and at individuals' peril. I think when men don't get to feel like they're men, there are consequences, whether they kind of externally vent that anger and that turns to violence and it, and it, and it turns to kind of prison rates and crime and it drives radical politics. You know, I, I, th- I think 
if you're looking on the other side of the pond, there are a lot of angry blue-collar white men who who are driving, you know, the Trump bandwagon. It it, it vents internally in terms of mental health and depression. So, I th- I think it's not to ignore this masculinity, but say, okay, th- there is this force, this need for men to be men. But how can we sort of steer it into a positive direction where if there is a, a need to vent aggression, do that in a positive way, or, or a tribal need to belong, how can that be positive rather than being drawn to radical politics or being drawn to ISIS or, or, or something like that? So it's it's not about dismantling masculinity, it's about saying it exists, it's a strong primal force, it's crazy not to think it exists after hundreds of thousands of years of conditioning and also you know we are still walking around essentially in hunter-gatherer bodies with the same synapses firing that you know you'd expect when you wake up in the morning and see a wildebeest or a lion on the prairie but how can we adapt that to the modern world in, in a way which feels positive Rebecca you I think are going to take issue with some of that well um I suppose to go back to your original question um I was as I was writing the book, I was constantly questioning myself, you know, are you setting up and are you therefore kind of reinforcing this sort of stereotype of, of masculinity and what men feel they should be? But actually what came across very clearly in the conversations with the boys and men's, men that I spoke to is that they do feel these rules hanging over them. They do have this idea of this kind of ideal male that they feel, um, for better or worse, that they need to live up to, or if they don't live up to it, they're very acutely aware that somehow they are singled out because of that. You know, it's sort of very, it occurred, to, it seemed to me that it was very sort of present in their lives. And I suppose, you know, if you're beginning to sort of talk about sort of good and bad masculinity, it's still... It might be a nicer set of rules, but it's still a set of rules. And I'm just sort of not sure whether sort of rules around what it is to be a man or a woman are terribly helpful, really. And I'd sort of prefer to um, think about what it is that makes us decent, kind, fulfilled people. You know, you know, what are those things? And those are things that, you know, both men and women should be aiming for. And I mean, I do also sort of take issue with this, um, you know, this kind of iron john zeus energy stuff you know i think that that is um i'm not sure that that's entirely borne out in um in you know the sort of scientific research and so on uh and uh and also you know even if uh there are some innate differences we also know that um socialization plays a huge huge part otherwise why would we spend so much of our time agonizing about how kids are brought up and you know the sort of um the support that we give them, the food that we feed them, you know, all the rest of it. So, um, that, that, you know, that there is an opportunity for change. And I think that that's, you know, a, a, a positive thing rather than sort of feeling that we have to sort of uh, give into and just kind of live with, uh, live with these stereotypes. But do you think that there's a, there is anything at all that you could point to that would say that there's an innate or biologically determined behavioural difference between men and women or do you think it's an absolutely constructed social Um, Well I suppose what I mean you know the sort of best way I feel (laughs) you know in in my view to describe it is that you know it's a kind of in terms of our behaviours and so on you know we're, we're all on a spectrum and you know actually the majority of us males and females certainly sort of girls and boys you know sort of cluster sort of around the middle and you get sort of you know you get sort of some extremes at either end but most of us are kind of you know sort of uh, within this cluster and what what happens is that through the way that boys and girls are 
uh, brought up, um, that's when the differences really begin to emerge, and um, you know it, it, be, it becomes more polarized. I mean, that's my view, but you know, I'm a, I realise a sort of increasingly radical feminist, so I would think that, wouldn't I? <laughs> but I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's sort of, on the one hand, it's bonkers to deny there are gender differences um, on a, on a kind of physiological level. You know, even before they're born, boys are washed in androgens, so by the time they come out, they have a, a greater need to be more active and, and run around. I think part of the problem, you know, at, at primary schools and, and schools is that boys are essentially taught like girls, that, you know, sit still, be nice, be polite, when in fact they have this kind of huge need to run around and perhaps learn more actively. And not surprisingly, boys are six times more likely to have atten- attention deficit uh, disorders. You know, men are more wired uh, to to take risks, amongst other things. You know, we have these physiological differences. We have this kind of conditioning that maybe augments that but at the same time that doesn't mean to say we are determined and dictated by that and that's how we should live in some sort of brute way I I think it's not about stereotypes and rules I think you know perhaps the, the greatest trait that men crave is freedom and I think there, there are so many ways to be a man today and that's amazing you know whether it's across sort of it's not about macho stereotypes it's not about repressing emotion I think you know the the more men are freer to be the types of men that they want to be and be the types of dad they want to be is an amazing thing to do but at the same time to acknowledge that we do have this kind of underlying force and need you know this need to kind of be productive this this sort of need to to feel part of something this kind of sense of belonging and identity this stuff which is kind of hardwired in us which we we can ignore or we can say, actually, there's, there's something going on here. You know, when you, men's identity is so linked to work, for example, and, and productivity. And, you know, when the recession came along, there was a, a spike of about sort of 10,000 male suicides attributed to the recession. Now, you can, you can ignore that or you can say, we really need to address how men work and look at men's identity and why that's so closely linked to work. You can ignore that boys might be different to girls, but then boys are dropping behind at school across the kind of the whole of the OECD. They're behind in in kind of key statistics like reading and are less likely to get to university, which doesn't doesn't mean to say, oh, it's new rules and new masculinity. It's saying, okay, what's a smart way to feel part of a tribe? And, you know, that might be spending more time with your family it might be might be being a better parent it might be taking paternity leave it might be not banishing old people to live in old people's homes and having extended families around you we do hear quite a lot don't we about the idea that there's a a lack of male role models from absent fathers to the you know the lack of male teachers in primary schools i mean is there a virtue rebecca in having male role models or do you think the male role models effectively are going to kind of reinforce the problem there's some interesting research on this that was done by the Open University, which I think is very telling, which looked at, sort of interrogated this idea of male role models with a sort of range of young men around the country in different socioeconomic circumstances and all the rest of it. And what they found was that actually what these young men valued was a close relationship with somebody that they felt was looking out for them. And that that person didn't have to be a man, actually. It didn't even have to be somebody sort of, you know older than them or you know the next generation up it could be somebody who's much much older with an incredibly different life experience but just somebody that they felt was kind of there for them was 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 hugely important and uh and 
that makes sense to me. Everybody wants to feel that there's somebody in their lives who's looking out for them and that they can talk to. And I don't think it needs, you know, I certainly feel for me that certainly doesn't need to, that could be a man as much as it could be, as much as it could be a woman. I mean, I think, uh, you know, Tim, the, the stuff that you're talking about there in terms of productivity and wanting to be amongst friends and all the rest of it, I think all those things are true. But what also occurs to me is that I think all those things are true for many, many women that I know too. And they, they seem to me to be kind of human needs rather than male needs, perhaps. And I, I think that the issue of young boys and physicality and school and so on is incredibly complex, but also, you know, that there's so much that's packed into there. So, for instance, young children, boys and girls, when they are, you know, very young, sort of, you know, certain sort of early toddlerhood, as it were, um, are both equally physically active. But what happens is that boys become more physically active and girls less so. And boys sort of begin to indulge in that kind of sort of and tumble play and that kind of continues into sort of you know later childhood and all the rest of it and I absolutely agree with you that kids need to get out more you know they need to be able to sort of run off their energy in the playground and let their hair down but I absolutely think that applies to girls as well as boys I think girls are sort of boxed into into this sort of compliance sitting on the carpet and soaking up the uh you know the sort of sitting in the reading corner or practicing their handwriting or whatever it is stuff as much as boys are and it may come out in different ways but I suppose this is you know the sort of central point in my book is that this kind of division is bad for everything everyone and there's big prizes for both sexes if we can kind of just get beyond all that mm. stuff no really. i mean I, I mean i think there's huge convergence between men and women mm. these days you know emotionally empathetically we get each other a lot more you know to be on the dating scene these days it's sometimes hard to tell the difference between male and female behavior and especially when you go to new york or somewhere and you know, <laughs> God, what happens in new york <laughs> well you know there's a kind of shortage of men and the, the women are kind of quite male-like in their in their sort of tenacity which is great. Uh, I, I recommend going there. So, so but I, th- I think there's so there's, there's there's real convergence, and it's great to to be able to be free to be who you want to be and not be boxed in. But at the same time, I think just kind of acknowledge that there is this kind of male thing going on. You know, on a kind of very practical level, when gang members in Chicago have been taken away and sent on these kind of retreats and spend time with kind of role models and physically kind of vent themselves, they are less likely to kind of carry on reoffending. You know, I, I think one of the key pillars which has underpinned the, the, the peace process in Northern Ireland is the is the drop in Catholic male unemployment. So young Catholic men have jobs and a sense of self worth and everything that comes with that. And that, that sort of helped stabilise the, the peace process. Likewise, when you look at the young male unemployment rates on the continent or in the kind of blue-collar towns in parts of America, I think that's really troubling. And I think, you know, unless you can help those young men to feel like men somehow in a kind of good, positive way rather than kind of being violent or... Um, so the kids who, kids who travel from English cities to go and join IS, yeah. I think if they, if they were having, you know, if they had proper jobs and were getting laid... I think they'd, they'd stick around. Well, I think I think this. I mean, I think an element of it is is the masculinity. You know, when you see these boys, you know, swap work, swap life, working in Primark to kind of go off with a bunch of mates and take, you know, swaggering, you know, or thinking they're going off to be. I think it's that sense of belonging 
and that they're part of something they can believe in and you know they swap primark for a kind of ak-47 i think there's a there's a there's a false notion of masculinity that they're chasing amongst other things like a sort of bastardized form of religion that intersects with that but yeah i, I think I, I i think there is a sort of weird um the hyper masculinity of isis is attractive to some people in the same way the the kind of daft hyper masculinity of trump is also attractive you know it's that sense of almost like here's this kind of rich male almost paternal figure who's going to look after me he's going to look after me he's going to bring the jobs back in he's going to shoo away anyone that might be getting him away whether that's women immigrants or, or trade deals tim into this quite you know essentialist is maybe an exaggeration but a quite sort of foundational idea that there's a difference between men and women where do you fit the increasing visibility of people who are trans or gender fluid or you know something that's that's coming out much more in public discourse now i mean do you feel these are people who are somehow physically between these innate positions i don't know it feels it sort of feels like we're at the start of something i guess quite exciting in 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 a way in that the the, the 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 straight jacket has been lifted and we don't know yet where this kind of um it, it, it's almost too soon to know whether it's a sort of social pressure that's been lifted and this is something that people have felt all along is there a sort of biological underpinning to it um you know i think like rebecca saying th- there is this this spectrum and i think i think it's really too soon to say but um you know i i i think you know as I say, you know, one of the core underpinnings of masculinity and I guess society is is the freedom to be who, who you want to be. And so I think it's very exciting that if people have been repressed and boxed into something all this time, that those strictures are now being lifted. I I, I don't know, you know, it's going to take sort of genetic analysis in years to come as, as to see whether there actually is much more of a, a sort of gender spectrum um, and, and, and to see where, where people fit into that. What do you think, Rebecca? So I think that we need to draw a distinction between sex, biological sex, and gender, which, for me, is um, a social construct. And in the vast, 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 vast majority of cases, uh, people are either male or fe- female. I think that it cannot be a coincidence that at a time when uh, gender stereotyping is so prevalent and it's so polarised that you also get a rise in people f- saying that they uh, don't feel comfortable either being a man or a woman, that that doesn't sort of fit with the person that they feel that they are. And I think that um, I think that's awful for those people, but I think we need to step back and say what is it that we, you know is happening in society to to produce that. And I suppose I am troubled by notions of gender fluidity and so on because if gender is a social concept, then what is this fluidity? You know, let's just do away with the notion of gender, and then you know we don't need to be fluid within it. We just don't need to bother with it at all you know we're a we're a bloke who likes pink or likes to wear dresses or you know I don't know likes to sort of a boy who likes to sort of sit in the corner and do beading or whatever rather than you know somebody who we're going to pathologize and that that's my take on it yeah no I'm not I'm wondering whether you know because there seems to me to be at least on the face of it a contradiction in the liberal position which says Mm -hmm. that for cisgendered men and women the behavioural differences between them are entirely socially constructed. Mm. And then the other part of the liberal position that says for people who are LGBTQ that 
their the way they feel is an absolute donne that just they're born that way. Yeah. yeah and that yeah. seems to be a contradiction. I mean, does that is that something you'd agree with, or do you think there's a way of squaring that circle? Um, no, I, do, I mean, I do think there's a contradiction there, and I think you know when you get uh, when you get people like. Um, uh, um, oh, for goodness sake, who is it? Eddie Izzard, talking about having the high heel gene. That's just exceptionally unhelpful, you know, being born with a high heel gene there for you're a woman. You know, as somebody said, uh, you know, I like wearing flat shoes. Does that mean I'm bloke and can I have a pay rise, please? It's ridiculous, <laughs> you know. These are not sort of, these are not inherent thing. If you want things, if you want to wear high heels, do by all means. Don't, don't sort of pretend that, that is some... That is because of, you know, that that is some way sort of related to your sex. You know, let's just kind of separate the two and be a bit more forensic about this. Thank you. Well, I think with the mass checking of privileges, we could draw this to close. I'd just like to just read what perhaps brings it down. Um, it's a bit from Rebecca's book where there were canvassing attitudes from young children to boys who played with dolls. And a boy in a later class wrote, he was only interested in his playing with his doll, which I think is kind of weird. I would have chosen an M16 KA60 Violator Assault Rifle. <laughs> we have some work to do yet. Thank you very much, Tim Samuels and Rebecca Asher. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you, thanks. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe to our weekly Monday podcast at iTunes. And if you didn't enjoy it, subscribe anyway. There's bound to be one along you like soon. <laughs>